Welcome to The Daily Brew. I'm Jordi Ratsirarsson, and this is the final episode of the first season of the Stanford Men's Basketball Podcast. So if I had to give Stanford basketball a grade this year, given that injuries did play a large part in how the team wasn't able to play to their full effect as we talked about in the Alabama game, I'm going to go with a C- for Stanford for this season. How's it going, everybody? Teddy Solomon here alongside Els Boone and Jabril Taha, and welcome to the last episode of the season of the Stanford Daily Men's Basketball Podcast. It's been a long season and a crazy season, not just because of COVID, but because of a lot of crazy college basketball. And we have a ton to talk about now that the 2020 to 2021 season is all behind us. So we're going to be going through Stanford's entire season, talking about the Pac-12, talking about the future of the program and everything in between. So let's get right into it, talking about Stanford basketball this season. And we're going to start with highlights. We'll go to you, Jabril, first. What was your highlight of the season? Well, let it be known that no one beats the Stanford Cardinal 21 straight times. My highlight of the season was, let's say, pretty early on, first game of Pac-12 play. Stanford finds a way to end a 20-game losing streak against the Arizona Wildcats. And then later on in the season, they went down to Tucson and ended up getting the season sweep over Arizona. Now, Arizona is a program that's kind of in turmoil right now. We don't really know what's going on. They just fired Sean Miller. So a big-time Pac-12 program. Will they stay near the top of the conference that they've been up throughout the last few years? It's a big question mark to Arizona. But again, that was a huge win for the Cardinal. A huge sort of what seemed to be a turning point for the program. Sort of crum- things sort of fell apart down the stretch, but that was, those were some two great wins throughout the year that I really enjoyed. Definitely. And Els, what was your highlight of this season? Yeah, my highlight happened in the very first game. That, of course, was the win over Alabama in the Maui Tournament in North Carolina. Alabama, as we know, went on to win the SEC regular season and conference tournament, finished with a two seed in the NCAA tournament. And that was just really Stanford's most complete game of the season. Zaire Williams had 19 points in his debut. We all thought he was going to go on to have a phenomenal season. Um, and I just think it was it was the best game we saw Stanford play. And it, and it sucks that it happened in the first game. You could say they peaked too early, I guess. But there were a lot of factors that went into that. But it was a, it was a really fun, great game to watch. Right, and for me, the highlight of the season had to be the 73-72 to win over UCLA, that De Silva buzzer beater. That was a huge win for the Cardinal. UCLA was ranked in the top 25. They were looking really unbeatable in conference play. And I'm not going to forget to mention that Dejon Davis, Zaire Williams, and Bryce Wills were all out, missing three starters, taking down a team that was a future Final Four squad. That was a huge win for the Cardinal, and it looked really promising. Of course, we know how the season went after that, but Oscar Da Silva had a 26-point game. Jaden Delaire showed why he went on to be the Pac-12 most improved player. It was just a very well-played game for Stanford and an important win uh, for their resume. And if they were if they were in contention for an at-large bid near the end of the season, that would have been huge for them, that win over UCLA. So now, We're going to flip the script here. Low light of the season. What was your low light? I'll start with you, Els. Mine is going to be the final game of the regular season, the huge loss to USC, 79-42. Yes, Oscar Silva did not play, but Stanford really just did not show up there. The team's tourney hopes rested all on that game. They needed to win to springboard their chances really into the Pac-12 tournament where they had to make a run in it. Things just did not come together. As I said, Stanford did not show up, and that that is going to be my low light. And Jabril, what was your low light of this season? 
Well, I think I know what Teddy's going to pick. So in order to avoid repeating, I'll pick something a bit different. It's a bit surprising. I'm going to go with the Alabama win. Now, hear me out for a second. I watched the highlights of that game before the Pac-12 tournament to like, try to remember what this Stanford team was about. And like, maybe we could go on a run here, win four games in a row, and get in the tourney. And it was just so sad to watch that game because you see all the potential oozing out of that team. As we've said multiple times on this podcast, they looked like a Sweet 16 team that night. And it ended up absolutely beating down a team that ended up being one of the top 10 and 10 to 15 teams in the country. So really, go back and watch the highlights of that game. It's pretty it's pretty frustrating. It's pretty sad to watch. It's a really what could have been situa- type situation. Jabril, you definitely knew what I was going to pick. That Stanford loss in triple overtime against Washington State, which was effectively the beginning of the end for the Cardinal. They would not go on to win any more games in the season. It was a devastating loss. It looked like Stanford could come out on top, but Michael O'Connell missing those two free throws near the end of the game uh, was was really devastating for this Cardinal squad. Really, really devastating. This game on the whole, it was not a well-played game. It was a game that Stanford should have should have won, absolutely. And it really shed some light on the coaching situation, in my opinion. What you had was you had a Stanford team that had guys like Zaire Williams, the highest rated recruit since at least 2007, um, along, with, along with a team with Oscar De Silva, who was back playing. Guys like Jaden Dallaire, Spencer Jones, very talented team. Bryce Wills and Dejon Davis both playing as well against a Washington State squad. Head coach Kyle Smith bringing these guys to Pullman. Not a very talented team, but somehow taking down Stanford. It showed that Stanford was not in a good situation. This program was really, really struggling, and they really didn't deserve to make the NCAA tournament after this loss. It was absolutely the low light of the season for me, and from there, it was just all bad. It looked like Stanford never had any hope at the NCAA tournament. There was no Isaac Bonton in this game either for Washington State. It was just brutal all around. Stanford was actually a full strength there in that one. Unfortunate loss there. Absolutely. And it, and it was Noah Williams. It was him that really, he was the dagger for Washington State. 40 points. How does that happen? It shows that Stanford really struggles with that one player situation. It happened in so many games this season. I think back to that Indiana game, Trace Jackson Davis, how they just couldn't stop him. But it really happened over and over, even with Arizona and Baker. So really, really difficult to think about those games and those situations for Stanford. Right along, it's time to talk about breakout players. This is something we talked about early on in the season. And Els, we're going to start with your breakout player, but I'll go to you, Jabril, first with a little audio clip from early in the season. Yeah, and my candidate for that would probably be Jaden Delaire, the junior forward. This might be a bit of a hot take, but I think the arrival of Zaire Williams actually did not help Jaden Delaire that much. I think if Zaire had not committed, Jaden would be the starting power forward on the Stanford team. But no, Zaire is here. And of course, that's what's best for Stanford. You can't really argue with that. So Jaden will be the sixth man. I think he's going to be one of the best six men in the Pac-12, maybe even in the country. I think he took some really big strides towards the back half of last season. Maybe he can even get better this season. He's probably going to get some major minutes off the bench. And I think he could be a really key piece uh, for Stanford going forward. Bells, it's time to give credit where credit is due. You called it. Jaden Delaire went on to win Pac-12 Most Improved Player. Tell us about that pick. Yeah, well, I'm really happy that not only the pick came true, but Jaden Delaire played well for Stanford this past season. Uh, he was inserted in the starting lineup when Bryce Wills 
and Deshaun went out with an injury and he, he really came on strong. Once he came into the starting lineup, he averaged 12.5 points for the season and he had multiple 20 point games. He looked really solid out there with Oscar De Silva, two forwards and really his emergence has helped, helped at least me feel better about losing De Silva next year because Dallaire has shown that he can be a 20 point plus scorer in the future. We'll see if he can get close to what De Silva averages this season next year for the Cardinal. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy that pick came true. Absolutely. And Jabril, who's your breakout player? Well, the two obvious picks were Jaden Dallaire and Michael O'Connell. I'm going to highlight some other guys in the roster. I thought Lucas Kasunas, while he struggled at times with rebounding and finishing layups, I thought he improved significantly over what he did in 2019-2020 season. He really came up with some massive plays during some big games, especially especially when we had, we're missing two or three starters throughout the year. I thought Kasunas had a season that definitely outperformed his expectations for him. Also, uh, also in the front court, Max Merle, I thought, had a nice freshman year. He didn't get much playing time, but he looked pretty good when he was doing it. Made some really nice plays at times. And he's really going to be a big piece going forward. So he's he's a big name to watch. Lucas Cusino is a big name to watch as we figure out what's going on with the Cardinal front court next year, which we'll talk a lot more in detail about later. And Jabril, I appreciate you leaving me Michael O'Connell there because he's one of the obvious guys to talk about. The freshman out of New York, he was previously committed to the University of Maryland for lacrosse, switched over to Stanford for basketball, and he had a great season. I mentioned that Washington State game. We're hard on him for that. He missed those free throws. Obviously, that was a key point in the season and a devastating loss for Stanford. But he was still a great player who really stepped up in an unexpected way. And he had that opportunity because guys like Dejon Davis and Bryce Wills went down due to injury and were not playing for Stanford for quite a while. Michael O'Connell had some spans there in the season where he got really, really hot against Arizona, 14 points. Game after that, Arizona State, 12 points, and then USC, 20 points. He cooled off at the end of the season after a 17-point performance against Washington State. Maybe those free throws had something to do with that. I don't know. But he finished off the season well, 12 points against Cal, and Michael O'Connell is the future of this program. He really is a great basketball player. He knows how to run this offense, and Stanford fans have to have high hopes for the guy that really wasn't on everybody's radar at the start of this season. So, we've talked about breakout player now. Time to move on to most disappointing player. And I'm gonna start this one out with the obvious one to talk about, and that's gonna be Zaire Williams. Zaire Williams is the highest rated recruit for Stanford since at least 2007. Everybody thought, oh, he was going to be the star of this Stanford team. Well, come to the end of the season, and he's honorable mention on the all-freshman team. I think that pretty much says all you need to know about Zaire Williams' season. Of course, he did struggle a bit throughout the season, having to go to funerals and quarantine, and definitely that played a role, and you can't fault him for that at all because that's completely out of his control. But Zaire Williams, when he was playing and when he was in the groove of things, he was not playing very well, in my opinion. He did average almost 11 points per game, but he also had the most turnovers per game for this Stanford team, and he did not play like the lottery pick that we all expected him to be. So Jabril, who was your most disappointing player? Well, lots of these most disappointing players seem to be on the same sort of theme. As you mentioned, Zaire sort of got disrupted there, and I'm going to pick Dejon Davis, and really for much of the same reason. In the, he had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games where he scored double digits this year. Eight games. He played well when he was available. He also, though, was injured for a large chunk of the season. 
He also could was suspended for or not suspended, but he was not uh, he was not played by coach for two games because of uh, team pro because he was team protocols. Uh, it was really an up and down season for Dejan. There's clearly some tension there between him and the coaching staff. And it really was not the senior year we all thought it would be for Dejon Davis. But at the beginning of the year, when he was in his groove, and even when he came back, he still put up some really good performances. So really, it was just some circumstances that didn't go Dejon's way this year. And Els, do you have a most disappointing player from this season? No, I'm actually not going to go with a player here, and I'm going to pick the most disappointing thing to me from this season, and that was just the injuries. We've talked about how the Alabama game was the most complete game we saw Stanford play this year when they had everyone available. And from there, things just did not go the way that Coach Aston Stanford wanted them to go this year. Bryce Wills and Dejon were injured for a huge chunk. Uh, Bryce was out for a month, and Dejon was seemingly day-to-day for that whole time, too. We thought he'd be back for the next game, and then each time will come, and they'd say he'd be out again. So he really didn't know how long he was going to be out. And then Zyra Williams, of course, missing time for the two family funerals. You know, he really can't control that, but it, it sucked for the team, to be honest, just because we didn't have those three guys available. And I think one of the most interesting parts from the season was when those three guys were out, the team actually played pretty well for a stretch there. They beat UCLA, as Teddy talked about earlier on in this episode. Um, but then once all those three guys were available again, that really was the beginning of the end for Stanford. They just could not put it together. The team chemistry was off. Dejan and Bryce were coming off the bench. Bryce started the last game of the season, but really Coach Hass just could not figure out his lineups for the last few games of the year, and that really killed Stanford. Absolutely, Els, and I'm going to bounce right back to you as we get into our general thoughts segment of this episode. We're going to be talking about the season on the whole, and each one of us is going to give a grade to Stanford men's basketball on the 2020 to 2021 season. So as I said, Els, let's start with you. Yeah, so first, I I was recently listening back to our first episode of the season when we talked about really our expectations uh, and how we thought the season was going to go. And so for me, first, my bottom line expectation heading into the season was that Stanford needed to make the NCAA tournament. It was year five for Coach Haas. They needed to finish top four in conference, and they needed to make a run in the conference tournament, basically not lose in the first game. Jabril said that they needed to get to the round of 32, and as long as they did that, their performance in the conference did not matter. And then Teddy said that they needed a top three Pac-12 finish and to win at least one game in the NCAA tournament. And I think pretty clear off that Stanford did not accomplish any of our goals for this season. They did not make the NCAA tournament. They did not finish top four in the conference. And they did not even make a run in the conference tournament, losing in the first round to Cal for the second straight year. So straight off that, you have to say that Stanford did not meet its objectives. I'm sure that the program had the same standards, if not higher standards for themselves So if I had to give Stanford basketball a grade this year, given that injuries did play a large part in how the team wasn't able to play to their full effect, as we've talked about in the Alabama game, I'm going to go with a C minus for Stanford for this season. And Jabril, what's your grade and thoughts? Yeah, I concur with Els here. I'm thinking C minus as well. Just because this is a Stanford daily men's basketball podcast doesn't mean we need to do Stanford level grade inflation. It was a poor season, as Els listed every single mark that we thought they needed to hit. They didn't hit. But as El said as well, you got to take into account the injuries. You got to take into account being on the road for so long, playing at a neutral site. Their net ranking even got adjusted, though. So that might take away some of it in terms of where they finished on the bubble. But yeah, they didn't hit any of the benchmarks, and there were lots of reasons why that didn't happen. But then again, as we've mentioned multiple times, there were games that they should never have lost missing one starter or missing two or missing two starters. 
but still they had a major talent advantage and they should have won. So that type of stuff makes you not want to be that generous and still go C minus. And I agree with that. However, women's basketball gets an A plus. I think they deserve a shout out on this podcast. We haven't mentioned them all year. They just won the national championship. So everything balanced out this year in Stanford basketball somewhat. So yeah, uh, basically what I'll say is Stanford ended the season losing their last five games. They lost to Washington State. They lost to Cal in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament, and they did not make the NCAA tournament. I'm going to give them a very generous D-plus on the season. I don't think they deserve anything better than that. Uh, And the only reason I'm even giving them that is because of the injuries and because of COVID and how they weren't able to play multiple games at home that would have otherwise been at home. Um, That's why why I feel like it's not an F on the season. But I think it's definitely a failure. It's a failure overall. It's a failure on the coaching end. Zaire Williams did not meet expectations. Really, the highlight of the season was the big men, Oscar De Silva and Jaden Dallaire, who had fantastic seasons. You can't argue with that. But overall, they did not accomplish what they needed to. They should have been an NCAA tournament lock. They should have been able to win a game in the NCAA tournament. And they should have been a top four, maybe top three Pac-12 team without a doubt. So I will say that the injuries, COVID, as well as how we saw the Pac-12 do in the NCAA tournament, the fact that those teams, obviously they are very good. It makes me, it makes me feel a little bit more generous, enough to give them a D plus. But a disappointing season on the whole definitely did not meet expectations in any way. And of course, we had that deja vu losing to Cal again in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament really sealed the deal on a very unsuccessful season for the Cardinal. So now I just mentioned a little bit how the Pac-12 did in the NCAA tournament, and they did phenomenally. Everybody listening to this podcast, I'm sure they know that. So I want to reflect on the Pac-12 on the whole this season, not just the NCAA tournament, but the whole conference and the whole season. And I'll go to you, Jabril, first on that one. Well, we showed Els' amazing take uh, on Jaden Dallaire earlier in the podcast. If you want to see a ton of bad takes, just go back to last episode. Watch us saying some not-so-nice things about these Pac-12 teams. Uh, as Teddy mentioned, the Pac-12 did really well. UCLA got to the final four, lost a heartbreaker in overtime to Gonzaga. USC and Oregon State both made the Elite Eight. Oregon made the Sweet 16, losing to USC in the Sweet 16. Colorado, who we all thought was going to do the best out of all the Pac-12 teams, ended up doing the worst and losing in the round of 32. But the question becomes, was this a fluke? Now, well, I do. while I do think that the Pac-12 was a little bit disrespected and they should have definitely been higher ranked, at the end of the year and there were some very quality teams and very quality players it was this was the best the Pac-12 could have ever done if you replay the tournament 100 times this is never happening again these teams talent wise just weren't where the other teams were uh the Pac-12 all these teams just got hot at the right time this isn't some the Pac-12 isn't going to be the best conference in the country they're not I don't think they're going to be much anywhere close to the best conference in the country next year this was just all the teams getting hot at the right time you saw UCLA they lost four straight games to close out the season. And then they went five in a row right here, or they get to the first four and then, yeah, went five in a row to the final four. And now ESPN has them as number two next year. And CBS Sports has them as number one in the country next year. I mean, that's if Juzang returns, which is, we don't know what's going on there. But UCLA as the number one or number two team in the country to me just seems ridiculous based on how they played in Pac-12 play. I think all of these Pac-12 teams were better than the, media, than the national media perceived them. I do believe they're better than the media perceived them but they're not these tip-top teams in the country. They all got hot at the right time. Els, do you agree with Jabril? And what other thoughts do you have on the Pac-12 this season? 
Yeah, Jabril basically said it all. There's not really much else to say. The Pac-12 did a phenomenal job in the NCAA tournament. None of us saw that coming. Um, and during, during the year, we all talked about how the Pac-12 was down this year as it's been recently. Um, and the surprise, I mean, for us, as we talked about all year, was Arizona State not living up to expectations. I mean, we've talked in this episode about Stanford not living up to expectations, but they didn't even do the worst job at that in the conference. That was Arizona State. Um, and then Colorado probably did the, the best at exceeding expectations, uh, finishing third in the conference. Um, and then they lost, they lost the game to Florida State in the, in the NCAA tournament. And I thought that was a bad matchup for them. I thought they could have gone deeper, probably playing any other, any other team with a similar seed in the round of 32. But uh, we, we also have to give our props to Oregon State. I mean, I don't think any – obviously no one saw that coming, but certainly not us. We – Every time Stanford played Oregon State, we cast off as an automatic win for Stanford. <laughs> um, and so you just have to give ha hats off to Wayne Tinkle and his team for making it as far as the Elite Eight. Yeah, I completely agree with both of you guys. I think the Pac-12 was a good conference this year. I don't think they're as good as maybe people think they are after this NCAA tournament. Oregon State beating Cade Cunningham and Oklahoma State should not have happened, but it did happen. Oregon State making the Elite Eight should not have happened, but it did happen. UCLA making the Final Four should not have happened, but it did happen. Remember, UCLA, they were really seeing the end of their season right before them against Michigan State in their first four game of the NCAA tournament. A lot of things had they to were go beat. right. Absolutely. And a lot of things had to go right for these teams at the end of the season. And they also played great basketball in March. So I think the Pac-12 was good this year. Arizona State was a huge disappointment, as you said, Els. I continue to believe that they had the most talent in the conference, but for some reason, for many different reasons, they weren't really able to put it together. Um, and Remy Martin had somewhat of a down year as well. Um, but overall, the Pac-12 did well, definitely exceeded my expectations. I wasn't that high on the conference. Obviously, before the NCAA tournament, I was really low on the conference. I thought Colorado could make the Sweet 16. They did demolish Georgetown in the round of 64, um, but then they weren't able to have any sort of offensive consistency against Florida State. Um, I thought Colorado had the potential. UCLA, I just thought was not good at all, and I'm continue to be in shock about what happened there. USC, a pretty good team. I thought that Drake was better than they actually were, so I underestimated USC as well. But really a crazy NCAA tournament, but we shouldn't overstate how good the Pac-12 is because it wasn't an unbelievable conference. The Big Ten was still a better conference. The Pac-12 just really, really came in strong when it came to March. So it was, it was, it was fun to watch. If you're a Pac-12 fan, it was great to watch. Um, but I wouldn't say they're quite as good as the NCAA tournament made them seem. Jabril, any other thoughts on this on this topic? Yeah, I just want to get your guys' thoughts on the whole UCLA situation. Everyone having them in the top five, top two, number one in the country to start this start this next year. And do you think that's a realistic pro probability? I gave my thoughts on that already. What about you guys? No, I, I don't think that they are a top two team. But I will say that if Johnny Juzank comes back, they will be a top five team in the country next year. And that's because they're not the only person they're projected to lose right now is Chris Smith, who basically did not play this season with an injury, played a few games, of course, but then got injured. And they're bringing in a five star Peyton Watson, who's going to be a projected top 15 pick after next season. He's going to come into the starting lineup, probably replacing Jules Bernard. And so when you're 
when you're bringing in a five-star and you're not losing anyone really, I think you're going to be a top 10, top five team. They're coming off the final four. They're going to have a lot of confidence coming in the next season. They're going to work really hard to try to get back there next season. They might even bring in some transfers. We'll see. So I just think UCLA will be a top five team come next season. Yeah, I think, as you just said, it really depends on whether Juzang is going to be coming back. He averaged 16 points per game, and he was a huge part of this UCLA team. I think in no scenario is that UCLA team going to be the best team in the country. I think analysts are super high on them because of what they just saw in the NCAA tournament, UCLA really giving Gonzaga a game. But let's remember that this UCLA team lost to Stanford without three starters. So this UCLA team wasn't great all season. They have a lot of talent, and we acknowledge that at many points in the season that they did have that talent. In my opinion, they just like weren't putting the pieces together at many points in the season. They're going to be good. They're going to be a ranked team. If they have Juzang, they could be a top 10, top 15 team, in my opinion. But I don't see them as being the best team in the country. So now that we've talked about the Pac-12 on the whole, now that we've reflected on Stanford's entire season, it's time to look ahead to next season and maybe even beyond. Um, so Els, I'll go to you first for some thoughts on next season and the future of this Stanford men's basketball program. Yeah, well, first, the, the offseason is really just getting started. We're not even completely sure what the Stanford roster is going to look like next year. Oscar DeSilva and Zara Williams have already declared for the draft, but we're still waiting for a decision from Dejon Davis. Of course, the NCAA gave everyone an extra year of eligibility because of, because of the pandemic, basically. So Dejan can come back for a fifth year next year. We don't know if he's going to decide to come back. He's going to move on to play pro like Oscar Da Silva, or even if he's going to grad transfer somewhere else. There have been some rumors that he might head home to play for Washington next season. That'll be really crazy to see, see him in another Pac-12 uniform. Um, but if Dejan doesn't come back, Roughly, you're looking at a starting five next year of Michael O'Connell, Bryce Wills, Spencer Jones, the freshman Harrison Ingram, and Jaden Dallaire. The big question there is you need a real big man. Jaden Dallaire is not really a, a five man. He can't guard other team centers that efficiently. So Lucas Kasunas will have to step into a bigger role or Stanford will have to bring in a transfer to play center and Stanford doesn't really bring in centers. It's just not something to the, not, sorry, doesn't bring in transfers. It's not something the university really does. And so I think, I think the ceiling is pretty high for Stanford next season, not as high as it was for this, this past year, but I think they have the chance to go play in the NCAA tournament and be a top five team in the Pac-12. It's just can Coach Haas put it together in his sixth season for what will be his make or break year. It'll be his sixth year. He has not made the tournament yet. If he fails to make the tournament next year, I, I think he's gone, honestly. You can't. You can't be a coach at the power six level in college basketball and not make the tournament for six years. That's just, that's just how it is. And Jabril, what are your thoughts on the future? Yeah, well, I'll touch on Els' last point. The seat got so much hotter this year. Els has hit on it. It's probably tournament or bust this year or next year for the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, the only thing that I think kept his kept him in the job right this year with all the talent that he had. If this was a normal year and there were no injuries, I think this would have been it. So I think COVID and injuries give him what I think. I think he deserves another year with Els here. It's next year that's a big deal. Uh, but this team's roster is weaker. It's going to be harder to be, make the NCAA tournament with this roster as it looks like right now. So the big question mark is, will we get that development? Coach has talked about, I mentioned this on the podcast before, he talked about in that last press conference after the Cal loss, that he just he's just so excited to have a summer with his team, with the new recruits. Can these guys develop? Can Michael O'Connell 
make strides? Can he find that three-point shot instead of that mid-range jumper? Can Spencer Jones turn into that player that he already improved a good amount this year, but can he keep going? And the front court is even the bigger question. I'm pretty comfortable with the cards. I think Harrison Ingram, Bryce Will, Spencer Jones, Michael O'Connell, that combination, uh, Issa Silva, and then Noah Tate's probably going to improve. I think though that roster of guards is good enough to make the NCAA tournament. My question is the front court. Will Jaden Delaire play like he's capable of night in and night out? As we've seen this year, he'll put up some ridiculous 20-point games, string it together a couple games in a row, and a couple games in a row he'll not do anything and he'll miss layups. We need to see that consistency from Jaden Delaire. We need to see big strides from Max Merrill. I think he's a key to this team. And as L's starting lineup, as L's projected starting lineup said, that's a really smart, a really, really small lineup that I just don't see Coach Hats putting out there day one. I wouldn't actually be that surprised if we end up seeing Max Merrill in the starting lineup if he makes strides over the summer. And one last thing I'll say about the transfer portal that L's mentioned, keep an eye on the recruitment of Rutgers big man, Miles Johnson. He is supposedly considering down to UCLA, Stanford, and Cal, mostly just UCLA and Stanford. He tweeted a couple of days ago that he got into UCLA School of Engineering. So Stanford School of Engineering, balls in your court. We'll see where he goes to play. I'll make your pitch from Stanford. Come on over to Stanford, Miles. Take us to the NCAA tournament. You'll be a hero. It's been so long. You go to UCLA there. All they want, all UCLA wants is a national title now. They went to the final four already. You'll be a hero here if you come here and take, and take us to the NCAA tournament. So hopefully if they can get someone like Miles Johnson, that'd be a huge boost to this, this roster right now that really has a lot of questions going for it in the front court. Yeah, so I, I really have high hopes for this roster. Um, for next season. Like you guys have mentioned, there's a lot of talent there. Um, of course, losing Oscar Da Silva is a massive, massive loss. But between Jaden Delaire and Spencer Jones, some freshmen from this season, Michael O'Connell, Noah Tates, Max Merle, guys that I think are going to take big strides in the years ahead. Um, I do think, and, and of course, bringing in Harrison Ingram, Issa Silva, that's going to be incredibly important for the Cardinal. I think the roster has what it takes, missing a little bit in the big man side of things. So I think down low in that front court, Stanford is going to struggle somewhat, but not something they can't, they can't figure out. And hopefully getting a new big man down there, that would be key for them. But I am very, very worried about Coach Haas and this coaching staff because especially against Washington State. And at the end of this past season, I just did not see good coaching. I thought that those were winnable games. And I thought, while there were injuries, while there was so much going on this season, a lot of it has to be on Haas. So like you guys have said, it's tournament or bust for Haas, in my opinion. And I really think that this team may not make the tournament. If they don't make the tournament, it has to be the end for Haas. They have to let go of him because he has not done a good job at Stanford, in my opinion. And I am I really do not think this season went in any way how it should have. And if next season, this is not an NCAA tournament team, Haas should be done. So the future of the program's really up in the air. This Stanford team could be very good. They could be very bad. We'll have to see what continues to happen in the offseason in terms of getting grad transfers or other transfers coming in, tr trying to fill the weaknesses in that front court. But really, keep your eyes on Coach Haas because he has not been doing the job I would expect from him. Jabril, any final thoughts on, on the future of the program? Yeah, one quick thought about next year. Uh, we still don't know what at all what Stanford's non-conference schedule looks like. It doesn't look like they're going to be all the, uh, all the fields of all the major uh, – preseason tournaments have been released and Stanford's not in any of them. So they really doesn't appear like 
be they're going to be playing like a big time uh, preseason tournament. So maybe they'll get that game with Kansas. They always seem to figure out. Maybe they'll get another big schedule uh, type of game. Maybe we'll see them play San Francisco or other WCC teams that Pac-12 as Pac-12 teams have done recently. Uh, so we really don't know the Cardinals' schedule, and I'm really curious to see how that turns out. What Coach Hass decides to do with 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 a roster that looks like it's going to be a pretty young team. Definitely, it's going to be it's going to be great to watch and interesting to watch because as we learn this season, you really never know what's going to happen. We were wrong on so many occasions when it came to Stanford, when it came to the Pac-12, and when it came to all of college basketball. I'll be the first to say that I was the one with the duty of writing the Pac-12 power rankings where I had Arizona State at number one and Oregon State at number 12 at the start of the season. Oregon State then made the Elite Eight. So you really never know what's going to happen. And the same is true for next season. Stanford could finish in first. Stanford could finish in last. We really don't know. But what we do know is it's going to be a crazy season of college basketball once again, just like this season was. And on that note, it's time to wrap up this season of the Stanford Daily Men's Basketball Podcast. This was our recap episode. We got a chance to talk about the entire season for Stanford, about the Pac-12, and about the future of the program. If you guys tuned into that last episode, we even talked to Oscar Da Silva, who talked a little bit about all of those things as well. So we hope you guys have enjoyed listening, and we really want to thank you all for continuing to tune in and listen to us as we talk about Stanford basketball, as we give some bad takes, as we give some good takes, but as we really, really go deep on this Stanford basketball team. And with that, I'm Teddy Solomon alongside Jabril Taha and Els Boone. Thank you guys for tuning in to the first season of the Stanford Daily Men's Basketball Podcast. This episode was produced by Jordy Radsarosin. As always, special thanks to Els Boone, Jabril Taha, and Teddy Solomon for hosting this series. I'm Lorenzo Del Rosario, the managing editor for Volume 259. For more podcasts by the Stanford Daily, visit